0: gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Tenzin Gyatso continuously challenges me both to rigorously live our Unitarian Universalist principles and to energetically serve others. His teaching and his teaching methods stretch my view of myself as a human being, as a minister, and as a religious educator. Who is Tenzin Gyatso? Some of you know, I'm sure. He describes himself as a simple monk, eager to retire to a life of contemplation and prayer. To the Tibetan people, he is Kunden, the presence, the living Buddha. To the world, he is His Holiness, the 14th Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama is the religious and political leader of Tibet and is recognized internationally as a spiritual leader, promoter of peace and nonviolence. His refusal to use violence in Tibet's struggle for freedom won him the Nobel Prize and the respect of the world community. I did not expect to be so profoundly influenced by this man but his teaching and his example have changed my life. The Dalai Lama has a way of framing the Buddhist teachings that makes them accessible to everyone, even me. The Dalai Lama teaches that confronting death is the key to living. Seriously contemplating my own death Acknowledging that I may die at any moment has helped motivate me to clarify my values, my goals, and the activities of my life. Contemplating my potential death at any time means that I am called upon to be very conscious of the quality of my relationships. Remaining constantly aware of death means being mindful and grateful for each day of living and energizes me for both the joys and the sorrows that each day may present. This practice of being mindful of one's own impermanence may sound depressing, but it's actually quite liberating. I believe that we know more about death than we might realize. I believe that there are many deaths in our daily lives, and that we recreate, even resurrect ourselves here and now. In addition to the major losses in our lives of loved ones, we all face other moments of life and death. We have dreams that die, self-concepts that change, We can be reborn each moment. We can recreate ourselves each day. We're all drawn to the familiar, but we can change the next moment if we let a part of ourselves die and do something different, fresh, and creative, something more compassionate or wise. Sogol Rinpoche, a longtime student of the Dalai Lama, says in the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, there would be no chance at all of getting to know death if it only happened once. But fortunately, life is nothing but a continuing dance of life and death, a dance of change. Every time I hear the rush of a mountain stream or the waves crashing on the shore or my own heartbeat, I hear the sound of impermanence. These changes, these small deaths, are our living links with death. This focus on death is to help keep our attention on our lives. Again, quoting Soigo Rinpoche, he says, our responsibilities may really be irresponsibilities. If we look into our lives, we will see clearly how many unimportant tasks, so-called responsibilities, accumulate to fill them up. We tell ourselves we want to spend more time on the important things of life, but there never is any time. Even simply to get up in the morning, there's so much to do. Open the window, make the bed, take a shower, brush your teeth, feed the dog or cat, do last night's washing up, discover you're out of sugar or coffee, go and buy them, make breakfast, the list is endless. Helpless, we watch our days fill up with telephone calls and petty projects with so many responsibilities, or maybe we should call them irresponsibilities. Our lives can seem to possess us, to possess their own bizarre momentum and to carry us away. And we can feel we have no choice or control. And of course, we feel bad sometimes about this, We may even have nightmares and wake up in a sweat wondering, what am I doing with my life? But our fears often only last till breakfast time, and back we go to where we started. Inserting a few moments daily, contemplating that we may die at any moment, can be a powerful way to simplify our lives, to gain control over these irresponsibilities. The Dalai Lama also teaches us about the preciousness of human birth, the uniqueness of the opportunities that we have as humans to love and learn and to help each other. He says, imagine a wide ocean with a golden yoke adrift upon it. In the depths of the ocean swims a single blind turtle who surfaces for air every hundred years. How rare would it be for the turtle to surface with its head through the hole in the yoke? The Buddha said that attaining a precious human birth is rarer than that. When we train our minds to realize the importance of this precious life and its rarity, we may decide to take more advantage of it. Precious and rare opportunities surround us, and we need only recognize their value. We have obtained this precious human form endowed with these special characteristics. If we were to waste it simply indulging in trivial concerns and trivial deeds, it would be very sad. Precious moments do surround us, and we need only take the time to notice In the past few days, I have particularly enjoyed holding a gurgling baby in my arms, feeling the embrace of loved ones, including here this morning. And I try to be thankful for this preciousness of life. We say, as Unitarian Universalists, that we promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person. But how many of us can honestly say that we do this? Every person, truly? Even our enemies? Yes, we all have enemies of a sort if we are honest about it. And this is another way that I have found a teaching of the Dalai Lama to reframe our common experience in a helpful way. For example, consider this approach to the problematic people in your life, or maybe even in your congregation. He says, if you can cultivate the right attitude, your enemies are your best spiritual teachers because their presence provides you with the opportunity to enhance and develop your capacity for compassion. So for the practice of your own spiritual path, he says the presence of the enemy is crucial. I can personally attest to the transformative nature of working at this practice. I have found myself becoming truly grateful for certain enemies in my life, not immediately, over some time, sometimes it takes more work than others, but somehow this has transformed the relationship and created healing. But it's more than the Dalai Lama's teachings and teaching methods that stimulate and challenge me. It's his living example of love and compassion for all. I'm sure I'm not alone here in having had the privilege of hearing him speak during his visits to the United States. It's so clear that he genuinely has compassion for the Chinese people. Despite being driven from his country, despite the widespread destruction of monasteries, the torture and killing of over a million monks, nuns, and believers, the Dalai Lama has compassion for the Chinese people who even now continue this destruction. This may be very hard to imagine, but if you were in his presence, you would witness the depth of his compassion and the sincerity of his desire for a compassionate and peaceful resolution of this problem. I am inspired to feel that if he can so freely and truly love under those circumstances that I can develop more compassion in the face of the more minor demands that my life presents and that I can promote justice and equity when I encounter racism, sexism, ageism, and the myriad forms of discrimination and injustice in our society. Speaking of compassion, he tells us, compassion is what makes our lives meaningful. It is the source of all lasting happiness and joy, and it is the foundation of a good heart, the heart of one who acts out of a desire to help others. Through kindness, through affection, through honesty, through truth and justice towards others, we ensure our own benefit, he says. This is not a matter for complicated theorizing. It's a matter of common sense. There's no denying that the consideration of others is worthwhile. There's no denying that our happiness is bound up with the happiness of others. There is no denying that as society suffers, we ourselves suffer, nor is there any denying that the more our hearts and minds are afflicted with ill will, the more miserable we become. He says, thus we can reject everything else, religion, ideology, all received wisdom, but we cannot escape the necessity of love and compassion. Another teacher I know says that most of us hoard our love. We act like we will somehow use it all up, or that we won't have enough if we love more freely. We forget somehow that love is unending, and we don't fully open our hearts. Or we may look in the wrong places for love. Love is not something we can extract from the past, according to the Reverend Wayne Mueller author of Legacy of the Heart. He says, when we look to the past for the love we may never have received, we remain forever entangled in regretful preoccupations with our childhood disappointments. On the other hand, love is equally impossible in the future. Regardless of how much we plan, scheme, and strategize about how we will arrange to be loved, How often do we feel cared about while dreaming of the future? Our dreams of future love are more likely to cause worry and anxiety as we perform our desperate orchestrations and in the spite of our best efforts, we are often left feeling dissatisfied and disappointed. Our only true hope for loving-kindness is today, in this moment, this instant. There is no other soil in which love can grow. If the heart is to open, it can only open in this very breath. He says, what are you waiting for? How can you be kinder or more loving to yourself in this very moment? What in your body or heart is in need of special attention? What person or situation in your life would benefit from a moment of loving kindness. Acts of love are often uncomplicated, small gestures that require little effort. A touch on the shoulder, a word of appreciation, a cup of cocoa, a note of thanks. Mueller tells us it could be so simple so easy to be more loving in this instant. Loving-kindness is the most powerful enzyme of healing and is always available to us in this very moment. How much longer can we afford to wait? And how can we begin? The Dalai Lama says, relinquish your envy Let go of your desire to triumph over others. Instead, try to benefit them. With kindness, with courage, and and being confident that in so doing, you will meet with success, welcome others with a smile. Be straightforward. Try to be impartial. Try to treat everyone as a close friend. But if you cannot, for whatever reason, be of help to others, at least don't harm them, and if in your enjoyment of the world you have a moment, try to help in however small a way those who are downtrodden and those for whatever reason cannot or do not help themselves. Try not to turn away from those whose appearance is disturbing, from the ragged and the unwell. If you can, try not to even think of yourself as better than the humblest beggar. You will look the same in your grave. To conclude, he says, we are visitors on this planet. We are here for 90, 100 years or so at the very most. During that time, we must try to do something good, something useful with our lives. Try to be at peace with yourself and help others share that peace. If you contribute to other people's happiness, you will find the true goal, the true meaning of life. May it be so, amen.